Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal. This is Pastor Clint Poppy, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. It's a great joy for us to have you tuning in. We have a twofold purpose to this particular radio program. First, we want you to be comfortable, literally at home with your hymnal, whether you are using your hymnal in the Sunday or Wednesday or weekly divine services or special office services, or whether you're using your hymnal at home as a part of your personal or family devotions, we want you to know what's there and know why it's there. And in addition to that comfort level with your own particular hymnal, we want you to know what we believe, teach, and confess regarding a theology of worship, why we worship, what does God's Word say about worship, how does a hymnal help in that regard. And so we will be talking at certain times and other times at great length about a theology, what God says about worship. We Again, welcome you to the program, and we play, pray God's blessings upon the things that we do here today. want to take a look today at some of the particular contents of our hymnal at Good Shepherd here in Lincoln and many Missouri Synod congregations throughout the country use LSB, which is code word for Lutheran Service Book. Lutheran Service Book has been around for some time now, and uh, many congregations that used former hymnals have uh, made the switch, and so I think it has been a great unifying factor and a great unifying force in our synod with regard to worship. I want to begin today with a prayer from the prayer page at the very inside front cover of our hymnal, Prayers for Worship, a prayer upon entering a church. Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. In the multitude of your tender mercies, prepare my heart that I may enter your house to worship and confess your holy name. Through Jesus Christ, my God and Lord. Amen. In that prayer, you hear the echoes of many different sections of Scripture. We hear that, I love the habitation of your house, the place where your glory dwells, a refrain that we know well from the Matin services. That is a phrase from the Psalms. We talk about the tender mercies of God, that that Old Testament word chesed, the steadfast love and mercy of God. We go into God's house to receive and God is the one who is running the verbs. He is feeding us with his word and sacrament. When we go into his house, we do many things, but one of the things we do is confess his name, the name of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we pray all these things as God teaches us to pray in faith through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in this particular prayer, we pray, my God and my Lord, and we're reminded of the confession of Thomas, uh, so-called doubting Thomas, after he received that personal visit from our Lord and the Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus hears the confession of Thomas, who confesses Jesus as my Lord and my God. I hope and pray that that is your confession this day with regard to Jesus. Today we want to look at some of the contents of Lutheran service books. So you're at home in your hymnal, you know what's there, and uh, you're able to find it and locate it when you need it. 
I know when I need a book, read a book for the first time, when I'm checking out a book at uh, Barnes and Noble or online, one of the first things I do is I read the jacket cover and then I look to the table of contents. I want to know what's in that book. I want to know how that book is laid out. I want to know what I can expect if I read or purchase or borrow from a library that particular book. I don't want to waste my time on something that uh, may or may not be helpful. And so that's what I do. And I think that's helpful when we look at our hymnal as well. In the uh, very beginning of the hymnal, after the copyright information, there's a very detailed table of contents, a very detailed introduction, which we read in one of our previous programs, the uh, introduction to LSB. Very, very well done. And then there's a calendar for the church year. Not all Christians are familiar with the church year that is used in a liturgical church. This is how Christians have counted time for hundreds and hundreds of years. We're out of step with the rest of the world, and that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. We count time differently, and our church year reflects the fact that we count time differently. Our church year is a theological year, not a chronological year, although we do cover a lot of chronological things. And as we look at the Sundays and seasons in the church year section at the beginning of LSB, we see that the beginning of the church year is Advent. Advent is a period of preparation. Advent is a time of repentance, although not as strong with regard to that focus on repentance as we have during the season of Lent, for example. But Advent is a time when the seasons are changing, our church year is changing, and we are fixing our eyes on Jesus, specifically Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus is the Messiah, the one who was promised by the Old Testament prophets and patriarchs, the Savior of the world. We have the focus also on the second coming or the second advent, if you want to look at it that way, the coming of Jesus on the last day, judgment day. Jesus coming to judge the living and the dead, the time when there will be a resurrection of all the bodies. There's also a focus on proclamation, the proclamation of repentance. And so we get some John the Baptist things in our time of Advent, Advent preparing us to celebrate once again the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Most people are familiar with Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, but Christmas is a very, very short season. And so depending on how Christmas falls and what day of the week it falls, there are oftentimes two Sundays after Christmas. So in this short season, we have ample time to sing our Christmas carols, to focus on the miraculous birth of Jesus. And during this time, we focus specifically on the incarnation of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Jesus, who comes to us in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the eternal word, that logos that John talks about in his gospel. That logos takes on flesh and blood and makes his dwelling among us. That's our focus and our theme during the season of Christmas. 
Christmas gives way at the 12th day of Christmas to a period of epiphany. Epiphany is always January 6th. That is uh, not movable, and so it can fall on any particular day of the week. Many churches will move their celebration of Epiphany to the closest Sunday, and that's a good thing. Epiphany is a time when the gospel reading focuses on the visit of the wise men, the magi, to the infant Jesus, as recorded in Matthew. And we have not only that celebration of the day of Epiphany, but we have an entire season of Epiphany. Epiphany literally means revelation. And so during this season of Epiphany, Jesus is revealed to us in word and deed. We see Jesus revealing himself as he's performing certain miracles. And so this season of revelation, this season of Epiphany, follows Christmas. And it is a wonderful season. It's one that is long or short, depending on when Easter falls. Easter, there's a long and complicated uh, schedule for determining the date of Easter each year. I believe it is the first Sunday after the first full moon, after the spring equinox, or something like that. But Easter changes every year, the date of Easter. We know that. Sometimes Easter is early and sometimes Easter is late. So if Easter is early, it'll be a short epiphany season. And if Easter is late, it'll be a long epiphany season. The one-year series in LSB makes preparation for the ancient practice of a pre-Lent season, the Jesima Sundays. If your church is uh, using the three-year series, you'll just have a longer epiphany season. But in the one-year series, we have three pre-Lent Sundays, and they tie in very, very well with our Lutheran understanding of theology by grace alone, by faith alone, by Scripture alone. Lent begins with Ash Wednesday, one of only two days in the church year where black is the appropriate color. Ash Wednesday is a time of repentance. It's a time to remember our own mortality and the fact that our only hope is in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ash Wednesday begins our penitential season, the season of Lent. We have 40 days in Lent, not counting the Sundays. And during this season of Lent, we do things differently. We refrain from singing Alleluia or singing a specific hymn of praise. We hold back on our worship. That reminds us of the penitential nature of the season. And we look forward to singing again and anew at Easter. Easter is followed by, uh, or Easter is preceded, and Lent is uh, ended with an intense time of reflection upon the passion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Passion Week, or Holy Week, begins on Palm Sunday. Here at Good Shepherd, we have the privilege of being able to have worship each and every day during Holy Week, and so we can look at the individual and particular focus of each day, which is a great blessing. And at the same time, uh, we have that uh, three-day festival, that three-day series of uh, reflection in the Triduum, which is the last three days of that cycle. We have Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, or the Easter Vigil. 
Easter also is uh, more than a day. It is a season. It is a seven-week season where we look at the resurrection appearances of Jesus. We look at Jesus' instruction to the disciples and to the entire church and to get ready and prepare for the miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That day we celebrate with Pentecost, a joyous celebration in the church. And from the beginning of Advent until Pentecost, we have the first half of our church year, the festival half of the church year, and then follows the second half, which is the non-festival half, of course. But during that non-festival half, we look at the life of Christ as it is applied to the Christian And we apply that in various ways, looking at the parables, the miracles, and other aspects of the Christian life. Just a very, very quick and brief overview of the liturgical church year. The details and the specifics, along with the colors of that, are in Lutheran Service Book, very near to the front. And following that, there is a listing of specific festivals and feast days. I'd encourage you to check those things out. You can be uh, prepared knowing when these things will be celebrated in the church, and it will help you to be at home in your hymnal. We need to take a short break. We'll be back in just a little bit. This is Pastor Clint Poppy at home in your hymnal. Don't go away. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. In our previous session, we took a cursory view of the liturgical church year, what it is. We didn't spend a lot of time in why it is, but we spent uh, just just some time in talking about the festival half of the church year versus the common half of the church year. And uh, I'm, I'm very, very pleased with me on this segment to have uh, Pastor Christopher Morundi here. He uh, He's a uh, a brilliant young pastor in our church body, also happens to be the associate here at Good Shepherd. But uh, he has um, some some keen insight with regard to worship in general, the theology of worship, and the content of Lutheran worship. Pastor, I just want to ask you a big and broad question as we begin this segment. And why is it important... Or is it important to follow a liturgical calendar, a liturgical church year? What what benefit is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, is there any benefit, and why should a congregation consider it that's not doing no. it? it? There's certainly uh, many, many benefits. Number one, we do have the example of God's people throughout history. They've been following a liturgical calendar uh, to worship the true God of Israel uh, really Almost since the beginning, you could say from Sinai on, the people of Israel have always had a uh, liturgical calendar. And when the Christian church came along, they kind of appropriated that and, of course, you know, uh, shaped it according to the events of Christ's life. Are you, are you referring there to the 
uh, ceremonial mm. laws yeah, of worship yeah. in in Leviticus. Yeah, and such. yeah, yeah. The uh, the feast of uh, Passover, Tabernacles, Pentecost. I mean, they they had a whole calendar too. So, lest we think that this is just some sort of Christian or maybe medieval uh, innovation, this is something that has very deep roots in the Bible. God Himself set forth a liturgical calendar for His people in the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, we're free. Uh, we're free. We uh, uh, we are simply called upon to to gather and receive the gifts. Uh, so we can go without if we wish. But there are many benefits in every way to being on a a rhythm to the year, and it helps helps us to walk our way through the events in the life of Christ. It helps us. It fixes our eyes on really the two great poles of the Christian calendar. Uh, Easter, the cross, the empty tomb, and then Christmas, the incarnation of our Lord. And certainly, yeah, we could we could fix our eyes on those uh, without a liturgical year. But I think a liturgical year, that pattern, that rhythm helps us to continually fix our eyes on those two great events uh, in salvation history. And we do it in our secular calendar, too. I mean, we... We have the same cycle of things, whether it's the sports year or the or the secular holidays. We we follow a a pattern to every year, and and why do we do that? Well, because uh, we commemorate things. We commemorate things, but for Christianity, we're not just commemorating; we're actually receiving what is what is coming. Okay, so this this rhythm thing that you bring about, I I think. You've given some good examples. Mm -hmm. We know, uh, especially here in and around Nebraska, Mm -hmm. we know that the spring game is usually right around tax day in April. We know that the first game usually is uh, during the... Nebraska State Fair, which mm-hmm. is the end of August or the beginning yep. of September. And we know that the uh, season ends on the day after Thanksgiving. Yep. So we have this <laughs> yeah, we, we, <laughs> <do>. <laughs> we have this football liturgical calendar built into our mm-hmm. heads. So it shouldn't seem odd or out of place that we would have a similar calendar when we go to church. Now, I imagine there's something maybe sociological mm-hmm. with regard to the human psyche and all these kind of things that uh, makes this a good reason why it works. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into that. That's mm-hmm. not uh, my or your area of expertise. What I want to talk about is the rhythm that we have in the church here. Now, you talked about the two big poles mm-hmm. of Christmas and Easter. If you could give us what you would see as the rhythm in that festival half of the church mm-hmm. year between those those two high points or the two poles yeah. or whatever terms you want to use of Christmas and Easter. How does that play out for us, just like I played out the uh, Husker football season? Yeah, yeah. So every feast, especially the two principal feasts of the church year, Christmas and Easter, is preceded by a period of fasting, a period of repentance. So the church year begins with Advent, which is a time of repentance, a time of fasting, and it's getting us ready for the feast, for the party. And then we get to the party, which is the incarnation of our Lord. And then we party for 12 days, and then the party really continues into Epiphany. Epiphany is also a celebratory type season, uh, the revelation of Jesus, uh, the showing forth some of the great events of Christ's life are recounted there. And then we go back to the fast, 
We go back and and the Lutheran Church, uh, actual an absolutely brilliant move in the church year calendar. Uh, the the festival of Transfiguration used to be a fixed date, and you simply celebrated it whenever the date came around. the The Lutherans moved it to the very last Sunday in Epiphany, and the reason they did this was so that, like Peter, James, and John, we go up the mountain with Jesus, we see His glory, but what happens? We got to go down the mountain. Come back down the mountain. Come back down the mountain. We do. And as we're walking down the mountain, you could say we go through the Jesima Sundays, the the pre-Lent, and then we take our 40-day journey to the cross and the empty tomb. And so once again, it's another period of fasting, of preparation, of repentance, and then we get to the Holy Week, the holiest of weeks, uh, the very core of the church year, uh, where we recount the events of the li- of the very last days of the life of Christ. The church year does follow the life of Christ roughly. Um, I, I mean, it's not it's not strictly chronological. At times, it is quite strictly chronological, but that's not really its primary focus. Its primary focus is to take us through the salvation of Jesus, uh, not necessarily like, well, Jesus did this this day and he did this the next day. No, it's a, it's 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 shaped in such a way to bring us theologically and, and catechetically to teach us as we move our way through. And then we get to Good Friday, Holy Saturday, he's in the tomb, Good uh, Easter Sunday, he rises, then the party. And uh, after Christmas, we only got 12 days of partying. With Easter, we get 50 um, 40 days until Ascension, and then the 10 more days until Pentecost. And when we hit Pentecost, then we were out of the festival half of the church year, and we spend, you know, it is probably about roughly half the year um, in the long green season, just looking at the life of Christ, looking at uh, his teachings and learning and growing. That's why green's the color before we recycle again. And I, I didn't mention this before, but... Uh, uh, and I'm going to butcher the Latin. Uh, repetitio mater studiorum. That's not that, bad. That's not bad? That's okay, not bad. there we go. I give uh, you a B plus. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Repetition is the mother of learning. And so that is why that is another big, huge reason why having a church here, even though it's not commanded by Scripture, it was for the, for the Israelites, but not for us, not for Christians. Even though it's not com- commanded, it is an incredibly valuable thing. Uh, because it keeps us cycling through the events of the life of Christ. And I'm sure we're going to talk about this a few times as we work through all these issues that we've laid out for for our program today, but it keeps the preachers honest. It does keep the preachers honest. They they are not able to get on their uh, soapbox. Yep. I want to I want to take that analogy that you used before with regard to uh football and playing the games or whatever, the way you describe the liturgical church here might be equated to I practice really hard Hmm. and then I play a game and then when I win, I celebrate (laughs) and then I practice really hard and then I play a game Hmm. and then I celebrate and then when all the games are over, I go into the off season and I train and I train <laughs> yeah. and I train yeah. and I train, maybe even get a few new recruits in. Yep. <laughs> and then I'm ready for the new the season to around, begin yeah. where I train and play the game. Is I mean, every analogy breaks down yeah, yeah, at the, some point. The, the one problem with that is that is we want to be a little bit cautious about human effort when it comes to the things of God. But well, uh, but, and we don't always win uh, the game yeah, if yeah, you want to look at yeah. it that but, way. But that I like that I like that I like that. And 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 the thing when you're a sports fan, this this is what's interesting about being a sports fan is there's always another season. 
I mean, unless they shut down your team or something, which I um, sorry, St. Louis Rams fans. But uh, the <laughs> it, this uh, it's uh, it just keeps coming the next year, no matter how good or bad your last season was as a sports fan. There's another season coming. And for the church year, that's the other. It just it comes around again and we keep cycling around through it. We're uh, nearing the end of this particular segment, but I want to I want to ask a question with regard to that non-festival part of mm-hmm. the year. In that non-festival part of the year, um, there are a variety of themes and and focuses inside of that big twenty-six week mm-hmm. season. You called it the long green season. Mm-hmm. What is the the blessing or the benefit of this time when we're not looking specifically at the major festivals mm-hmm. in the church here, but we're looking at the, the bigger picture of Scripture and the bigger picture of Christ at work for us? Yeah. We, we don't spend – Christians don't spend our entire lives on the mountaintop, right? And Christmas and Easter should be kind of mountaintop experiences, you know, in a sense, that, that uh, we're filled with the joy, the majesty uh, of Christ's work. Well, the Christian's life is spent walking through this life in our various vocations, and the long green season prepares us for that. It uh, it uh, gives us the teachings of Christ that sustain us, like drinks of cool water along our along our path here in the wilderness, uh, the manna from heaven that is God's word, and the water from the rock, um, and so. And it has its ebbs and flows and, uh, and its different themes as it works its way through. Uh, but this is the life we live, uh, being sustained on the teachings of Jesus. And while certainly Christmas and Easter are the huge uh, uh, poles, not only for a church year, but for the Gospels, uh, they're not, it's not the only thing that God has to say to us. Uh, he, ha- he has a lot of teachings for us uh, throughout our lives in this world. The... Uh green season as opposed to the festival season has sometimes been categorized in this way and i just want your reaction Mm -hmm. to it the festival half of the church year is a time when the church focuses primarily on the person and work of jesus Mm -hmm. and the non-festival part of the church year is when the church focuses on the person and work of jesus at work mm-hmm. in the Christian. Yes. You think yep. that's fair? Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Uh, as long as we keep in mind uh, the very distinction that's brought out in the first chapter, the first verses of the book of Acts, uh, that these are the acts of Jesus through his church. Um, it's not somehow that now uh, now that the church is here, Jesus is left. Um, he may not be with us visibly, but it's still his work. Uh, he is still really present for us wherever his word is proclaimed and his truth and purity and his gifts are administered according to his command and promise. Now, uh, Pastor Murundi made the comment before that God has much to say. Well, God's word should uh, better have its way and its say when we come to worship. Who in the world decides what part of God's word is read and preached upon? Is this the uh, pastor's hobby horse or... Is there something bigger? When we come back from our break, we want to pick up the topic of lectionaries. And if you've heard that word before, you know where we're going to go. And if you haven't heard that word before, we have uh, some interesting information for you with regard to how it is determined what parts of God's word will be read to you 
on any given worship service. This is At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Murundi and Pastor Poppy. We're going to take a short break, and we will be right back. Don't turn away. Sundays at noon on KNNA. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. This is Pastor Clint Poppy here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Along with me is my associate, Reverend Christopher Morundi, who has agreed to uh, help us out today as we look at the topic. We've been looking at the topic of the liturgical church year, and we want to shift gears just a little bit. And a part of that liturgical church year is a series or a system of readings. You may wonder when you come to church, uh, who determines or who decides what part of God's Word is read on that particular Sunday? Well, there are some churches that follow no particular season, no particular reason, and uh, the pastor just sits around and Mm -hmm. picks it out and Mm -hmm. decides. And so you may get his hobby horse, you may not. And um, that's just the way it is. But there are many, many churches, uh, Christian churches, the uh, uh, vast majority of Lutheran churches, the Roman Catholics, um, just about all of what you would commonly call your mainline denominations, the Presbyterians, the Methodists, uh, the Episcopalians, all of these follow a basic series of readings, and this is called a lectionary. A lectionary. The... Um, a person who would read the readings um, is the pastor or a designated layperson. That person is called a lector. Mm-hmm. And so you see lector, lectionaries. The lection or the lectin that is read is the series of readings. Pastor Morundi, you, um, you've been teaching now for a year and a half at Concordia in Seward, and uh, we're, we're very happy to have the uh, Concordia segments on uh, KNNA right now. Uh, very, very interesting to listen to. But as you teach the Old Testament scriptures to the students at Concordia, I'm not sure if you have an opportunity to talk about the worship life or the ceremonial law or how the Old Testament Christians worshiped. I'm not sure how much detail you get into there. But um, with respect to how they worshiped in the Old Testament church, how did they determine or how did God determine for them what 
parts of God's word should be read in the regular worship service. Yeah, you're not you're not going to find in the Old Testament a list of readings. You're not going to find a lectionary in the Old Testament, but you find plenty of evidence in the Old Testament that the people of God followed a specific pattern of readings. In, in fact, there are a few texts, uh, especially with regard to Passover and the Exodus, that were quite specifically meant to be read at that time of the year. Um, but there is other evidence that there was a pattern of readings. There's actually a number of texts. Uh, Nehemiah comes to mind uh, where there is the public reading of the Torah and uh, and then an explanation given of it. Um like I said, it, it's it's not necessarily laid forth in Scripture. It says you read this text on this day, this text on the next day. But there's certainly plenty of evidence that the people of God had some sort of structure to their readings. And we actually have New Testament evidence of that as well. Uh, in the synagogue service, um, they had a series of readings. And the best evidence we see for that is when Jesus himself shows up in the synagogue in Nazareth. And when he shows up, it says they handed him the text to read uh, for the appointed day, and it happened to be Isaiah 65. Am I thinking right? Or is it 62? Uh, it's it's Isaiah 60-something. Yeah, 60-something, And this yeah. is recorded in Luke 4, Luke if chapter I remember. Four, Luke chapter 4. So they hand him the scroll. They say this, the text for today. And so he reads it, and uh, he preaches one of the shortest and most explosive sermons in, in history. He says, this is fulfilled today in your hearing. Amen. And... Uh, uh, Jesus himself preaches on the lectionary. He doesn't say, "No, no, I, I want, uh, I want Jeremiah twenty-three." No, he, he, they hand him what they're doing that day, and that's what he preaches on. Um, so once again, uh, like a church year in general, uh, a lectionary is not a commanded thing by God, but there is certainly plenty of uh, precedent for it in the worship life of God's people. And uh, throughout uh, Christian history, it kind of makes sense. If you're going to have a church year, it makes sense then at least on the high days that you would have texts that would then come to be associated with it. I mean, you get to Christmas, even Charlie Brown, you read Luke chapter 2. So, And then it makes sense then that some of the other festivals and feasts, that, that a church year calendar, a lectionary would start to kind of coalesce around the church year itself. Okay. When... Uh uh, you've been you've been a pastor how long, Pastor Morundi? Oh man, now uh, getting into my eighth year. Okay, so with uh, nearly a decade of experience mm-hmm. uh, being a uh, pastor, curate of souls, and uh, also a proclaimer and teacher of the Word of God, what best blessing or benefit is it for you, or is it a hardship? Um, <laughs> To look at a particular Sunday mm-hmm. and say these are the appointed readings for the Sunday, even if uh, you maybe personally you're going through a particular struggle mm-hmm. and you would rather preach on this passage or there's something going on in the congregation, whatever, what good is it or is it a collar or a hindrance to you to have the readings decided for you? On a given Sunday, yeah. Um, well, let let me let me maybe say it in a way that might surprise. Uh, it is a hindrance, and that's a good thing. Uh, and let me explain myself. What what I mean is, it's a hindrance to my desire to uh, preach on the things I want to. 
Uh, it's my it's a hindrance on my desire to uh, get to my hobby horses or the the books of the Bible that I like the best or the words that I like the best. It is a it, it it's a hindrance to that desire for me to kind of do my own thing. Uh, it's a tremendous blessing for the church then in that it keeps me uh, keeps me honest makes me work on texts that uh, I may not have picked to ever preach on. If I was making up my own lectionary, I would never have picked such and such a text. But now it's presented before me by the church, and now I have to deal with it and apply it to apply it to my hearers. It allows the people of God to hear the full counsel of God. And now when I say the full counsel of God, I don't necessarily mean every single word of the Bible. What I mean is uh, the full a breadth of doctrines that are contained in the scriptures to to cover them, to to treat on them over the course of a year. Uh, it keeps me honest, keeps me as a pastor honest. Uh, and I would say the only the only disadvantage, and and I don't think it's really an insurmountable one because <laughs> once again we're not required by God to hold to the lectionary. If there's a national disaster. Go ahead and pick another text that maybe that maybe speaks to that. Don't ignore what's going on in the world or or some, something very incredibly traumatic happens to your congregation. Go ahead and pick another text that that speaks to that. Uh, don't don't feel like you you have to do this uh, even if there's something very uh, uh, very pressing right in your face that that maybe would ask you for that one special occasion to do something different. Um, it keeps the pastor from riding his hobby horses, keeps the pastor uh, looking at the entirety of Scripture's doctrines. So if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, Pastor, and correct me if I've, I've misunderstood this, we are free as New Testament Christians. We are free to do and say and worship and have whatever readings from God's Word that we want. But we voluntarily restrict that freedom for some very, very good reasons. Yes. And the good reasons, as you mentioned, were repetition is the mother of all learning, and so we're repeating. We get the whole counsel of God, not every word of Scripture, but the full counsel of God with regard to the teachings mm-hmm. or the main doctrines of Scripture. And it keeps the pastor from preaching the same sermon week after week yep. after week, yep. keeping off of his hobby horses only the favorite Bible passage or the favorite books of the Bible that he has. Now, Pastor, could you give us some insight? You are scheduled to preach on a particular Sunday mm-hmm. or a particular Wednesday. There are three readings that are laid out for you, the Gospel, the Old Testament, the Epistle. There's also an introit. There's a gradual, a psalm of the day. And I know of some pastors that even have preached on the collect. Oh, okay. Um, So you have all these things that are laid out for you in this liturgical structure. Can you give us a little bit of an insight? Mm -hmm. I don't want you to tell any deep, dark secrets (laughs) or anything like that. But can you give us a little bit of an insight how a faithful pastor like yourself decides on what to preach on on a particular Sunday or Wednesday. Okay. Well, sometimes with me, it's something as simple as I look in my files for what I preached on before, and uh, if last year I preached on the gospel, I might look at the the Old Testament or the epistle to preach on. Um, Part of it, though, is looking at each of these texts, understanding kind of how they all go together, which for us, uh, doing our Proclaiming the One uh, show here gets that kind of out of the way. We work on that together up here, see how they all kind of go together. Um, 
But that does give you the ability. There's that freedom within that structure so that uh, if you look at, say, the Old Testament lesson and you're like, and you say, well, yeah, I, I preached on that last year, but with what's going on in our world, what's going on in our congregation, maybe maybe these folks that, that, I, that I can picture in my mind that really could use to hear this, I think I got to do this one. Um, uh, it gives you that freedom. If there's one that maybe applies to uh, the situation of your hearers uh, better than the other two, go ahead with it. Um, it's generally a rule of thumb that on that we preach predominantly on the gospel lessons, but that's not a that's not an absolute thing either. And so, yeah, I, so I take a look at them. I I look at what I've done in the past because I always I'm always interested in digging into another part of God's word that I haven't that I haven't worked with before, um, and then uh, kind of evaluate exegete the people. Uh, take a look at the the people of God put before me and see if maybe one of these texts or another might be more uh, more valuable for them on this particular Sunday. Okay. I have heard some pastors say, I look at the readings that are before me, and I look at the most difficult, the most yeah, challenging yeah. one, the one that if I'm sitting in the pew, I'm thinking, what in the world yeah. is God saying here? And then I force myself yeah, a, to preach yeah. on that text. Yeah, that's a good practice. I was going to say, like have, you ever, have you ever done that? I, I, I have done that before where I've run into a text where the lecturer has presented me with a text, and I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. I think let's dig into it. <laughs> and in that respect, it forces the pastor— to be a better pastor. Yeah, to do the hard work. Yep. Um, one uh, one quick word. In the freedom that we have, mm-hmm. you said that if there's a national disaster or some other event, we are free to preach on any part of God's Word mm-hmm. that we want. Pastors usually call this free texting yes. or yep. preaching from a free text. Just a word or two about... Uh, a caution Mm -hmm. with regard to free texting and uh, a possible blessing or benefit with regard to the freedom of free texting. Yeah. You, you want to be careful that, I mean, if you, if you start using that freedom too often, then it becomes as if you have no lectionary at all. And then you get into some of the issues where we talked about before, where the pastor's always riding his hobby horse. He's not, he's not letting the word of God guide him. He's kind of, he's driving the, he's driving the wagon. He's, uh, uh, he's the one, um, driving God's word. Um, and so you got you have to watch out for that. I I would say as a pastor, I don't know, man. I've probably free texted maybe once or twice in my seven plus years. I that's probably it. Um, but had I been a pastor in at nine eleven two thousand one, I probably would have free texted that Sunday. That is that is one of the few times that I have ever free yeah. texted here at Good Shepherd, and I have done it a few. But uh, the Sunday after nine eleven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I preached on Psalm 46, yeah. yep. and uh, I I think that was a good uh, a good decision then, and uh, uh, I hope and pray that we have none of those kind of issues yeah. where we have to make that yeah. decision. I'm also amazed at how often you look at these readings mm-hmm. and you think, oh man, uh, there's nothing here, and you you kind of force yourself to preach mm-hmm. a sermon, you force yourself to write a sermon, and you, maybe your heart is not really in it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this is, I'm speaking for myself, I don't want to put words <laughs> in your mouth. And then you preach it, 
and the people are like, oh, that was yep. just exactly the word that I needed today. Yep. Yep. And then I'm like so humbled and so shamed yep. that I think that God's word is dependent upon me and my cleverness yep. for yep. its power. Yep. Speaking of God's word and its power, we want to take one more segment with regard to lectionary readings. And some of you may know that there are two acceptable sets of readings in the Lutheran Church, the one-year series and the three-year series. What in the world is that all about? We're going to tra- tackle that topic when we come back from our break. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. This is Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Christopher Morundi. We both have the pleasure and privilege to be pastors here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln. You can come and visit us for worship on Sunday mornings at 8 and 10.30, Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can also listen live at www.thecross957.org and check out these uh, various uh, radio programs. We have a lot of self-generated programs here at KNNA 95.7 The Cross and just go to our church web or our radio website, check out the archives, and uh, Proclaiming the One is uh, one that Pastor Morundi and I are uh, especially thankful for. And this is uh, something new uh, at home in your hymnal, teaching us uh, a little bit with regard to the theology of worship, but also so that we are at home using a hymnal, whether that hymnal is at home in our home home for individual or family devotions, or whether we are in our church home and worshiping with a hymnal there. One of the things that we've been uh, talking about is uh, the readings that we hear on a given Sunday or Wednesday when you come to church. Who picks? Who decides? And we talked in our last segment about lectionaries, the system of readings that are in um, Uh, the particular church that you go to, and most churches have them. So in the Lutheran church, as I open up my LSB in the uh, very, very beginning, there's a section called lectionaries, and then it says um, three-year lectionary series A, three-year lectionary series B, three-year lectionary series C, which would make sense because if it's three years, there should be an A, B, and a C. That does make sense. And then after that, there is a one-year lectionary. So, Pastor, uh, if I am new to liturgical worship, a liturgical church here, and new to the notion of having set a set order and a set pattern of readings before me, how, how would you describe the three-year lectionary versus the one-year lectionary and why Lutherans have two options. Yeah, well, they're, they're, throughout history of the church, throughout the history of the church, uh, a number of lectionaries you know, kind of coalesced in the early days of the church. And through the midi- Middle Ages into the Reformation Age and beyond, uh, the, the lectionary for the Western church was pretty set and established, uh, had become pretty set and established. And that 
went all the way up until what we use today, and we call that the one-year series. It's sometimes called the historic series because it's got a pretty long lineage uh, all the way back uh, beyond the Middle Ages, all the way all the way back into the earlier days of the church. More recently, uh, uh, actually very recently in the, in the 1960s, um, a three-year lectionary was developed. Now, the one-year series, the historic series, uh, you repeat every year. You, you have every single, let's just pick one at random, every single uh, first Sunday after the Epiphany, you have this set of readings on the historic lectionary. And you go around the next year, you have that same readings again. You come around the same readings again. Uh, in the 60s, they developed a three-year series of readings, and this came out of the Catholic Church uh, initially. And instead of having this one-year series moving around every year, now you have one year that you spend uh, doing a certain set of readings. Then you go to series B the next year and you do that set of readings. Then the next year you do series C, you do those set of readings, and then you start all over again. And on year four, you're back to back to series A again. So it's simply taking what historically was done every year and instead uh, moves it to instead of cycling through the readings every year, you're cycling through them every three years. Um, now, there are plenty of other differences that we can talk about in a little bit, but the Lutheran Church uh, appropriated the three-year series, uh, but it never got rid of the one-year series. And so that's why we've we've got both in our hymnals. And I don't know what the percentages are. My guess would be, you know, maybe a quarter of our churches are on one-year series. Would that be? I'm, I don't really know. I, I think that would be just based on the pastors that I know yeah. in and around uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, yeah. I would say that would be a fair guess. Might yeah. be a little high. Yeah. Maybe it's more like 20%, 20% or, or something so. like that. And then, and then the rest of them are on the three-year series. Okay. Now, you, you made the comment, and um, we're, we're going to try really, really hard here to stay positive mm-hmm. with both series yep. and not bash any, because, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, silliness and nonsense. You know, I, I could start a fight and say, well, the St. Louis Seminary is better than the <laughs> Fort Wayne Seminary because I graduated from yep. there. Yep. And then Pastor Murundi comes back with the same argument that the Fort Wayne, you know, th- those kind of arguments are all over in the church. They're all over in Lutheranism, and we want no part of that with regard to the one-year versus the three-year series. Now, Pastor Murundi was uh, under the one-year series, or under the three-year series when he was a pastor in uh, Iowa West, and now here at Good Shepherd, we're in the one-year series. Uh, I grew up uh, back in the 60s and 70s with, there was only one series, uh, it was before Vatican II really took hold, and um, uh, so grew up with that historic series, mm-hmm. and then spent most of my time, my lay minister days, and during my seminary days, and then the first uh, six or eight years here at Good Shepherd in the three-year series, mm-hmm. and now we're in the one-year series. So I think we both have ample experience with both series. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about the origin of the three-year series, and you made a comment that it came from the Catholic Church. Yes. Yep. Can you give us a little bit of information uh, on that? Yeah, I don't know the history as much on that. You might be better to, to speak to some of the, the historical origins of it, but it was part of the reforms of the Catholic worship life that came in uh, in the 60s in what, what the big— uh, church council called Vatican II. Uh, they made a lot of reforms. They they 
brought the the Latin mass into into the language of the people. That was a huge change. And then bringing forth these lectionaries was a big change too. Uh, I suppose for the Catholic Church, which the Catholic Church, because of their emphasis on tradition and and some other things, has always been a little weak on the Bible. Uh, this reform was probably, in my, I mean, putting the best construction on it, I, I think it was probably meant to try and bring more of the scriptures to the laity uh, to kind of unfold them uh, more to the people of God. And that is one of the advantages of the, of the three-year series. You get a lot of different pericopes and a lot of different texts that you deal with over the course of the three years just because it's three years. Um, and so that, that's my guess. I don't know if you have any other details from, from that. No, I, th- I think that uh, fits in well with my experience. You have to remember, I'm growing up mm-hmm. while these things well, are happening. happening yeah. And I'm, I'm seeing these, hap- these changes happening in the church. And you're right. Uh, as, a, as a small boy growing up in a 50% Roman Catholic and 48% Lutheran town of uh, West Point, you know, there, there was always this battle going back and forth between the Lutherans and the Catholics. And one of the arguments that the Lutherans and other Protestants had was the Roman Catholics don't know their Bible. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think a part of Vatican II was they took that uh, that accusation or that charge seriously, yep. and they said, well, one way we can get our people to know more of the Bible is to have an expanded set of readings. Yep. And so I think that was, that was certainly uh, a part of it. And you also have to remember that at the time of Vatican II, there was a huge ecumenical movement mm, yes. in Protestantism. Yep. And Protestantism, there was a big move, and by the ecumenical movement, it's just basically we're all the same, we're all together, we should get rid of our denominational baggage and labels, and uh, kumbaya, let's all be one. Mm-hmm. And I think the Roman Catholics saw this and uh, thought this is one way that we can encourage all of the Protestants to unite with us in a series of readings. Well, it didn't take very long before this Protestant group and that Protestant group had their own set of (laughs) three-year readings because they wanted to emphasize certain things. And so that unity, because of sinfulness, it was shattered right off the bat. So um, we have this so-called historic Mm-hmm. one-year series, and then we have the three-year series, which gives us more Bible. There's yes, no does. doubt yeah. about that. Yes. Gives us more Bible. It's on a three-year three year series. So as a pastor who has worked with both, mm-hmm. what would you say, aside from the fact that there is more Bible, mm-hmm. what would you say is the major benefit of the three-year series and maybe the thing that you miss the most? Yeah, I, I would say there are, t- there are two benefits that I, that I can think of. Number one, uh, it allowed me as a preacher um, to, to take the Gospels uh, one by one. Now we we've got it. We, there are two ditches to fall into. There, there, the one ditch is to pretend uh, that God didn't give us four Gospels, and to and and sometimes with the one year that can maybe happen where you you've got one text and you as the preacher you're preaching on the text from Matthew, but you have in your mind Luke and Mark in your mind as well. So uh, what I liked about the three year was I could deal with how Matthew presents this presents whatever account to us and then the next year uh, uh 
deal with it as as far as how it's uh, given to us in Luke. So certainly, in my mind, uh, God could have given us one gospel. He didn't. He gave us four. So it, it's that's a benefit of the three-year lectionary is to deal with what God gave us, uh, four different gospels, um, and to kind of immerse yourself in Matthew. On the other hand, the other ditch to fall into would then be to, uh, and this may be the, the three-year can encourage, uh, the other ditch to fall into would be to um, pretend that it's not the same author of all four Gospels. So, so you got to avoid those two to, those two extremes. You got to remember it's the same God who inspired all four Gospels. On the one hand, and on the other hand, you got to remember that that God gave us four Gospels and not one. So, so that's one advantage. That's one thing I kind of miss is being able to work my way through Matthew in Series A, uh, Mark in Series B, Luke in Series C, and then John is kind of scattered all the way through. Uh, the other thing, and I didn't really take advantage of this too often, but it is a, it's a nice advantage at times. It can be uh, in the summer months, the long green season, the the three year lectionary just takes you straight through an epistle. And I, like I said, I didn't take advantage of that. Maybe once I took advantage of it. One summer I did. Um, but there, there is a certain benefit to taking the people of God through an epistle over the course of five, six weeks or something like that. There, there's, there's something to be said for that. Um, and, that and that is called a Lectio mm-hmm. Continua. That yep. is a continuous reading, yep. and that is only in the three-year yep. series, and it is nowhere in the one-year series. Nowhere in the one-year series. So I, I think sometimes with epistles, and I encourage people when I teach an epistle, I say, read through it all. Just sit down, take half an hour, 45 minutes, whatever, and read through the letters uh, start to finish. Because a letter is meant to be read start to finish. So then, of course, you still have to divide it up when you do a, a Lectio Continua. But uh, uh, it does give a chance for the preacher uh, over the course of the summer to maybe preach a series on Romans, just work his way through Romans. So the, those would be the two uh, two things that I think our advantages or I kind of miss. Okay. Now I want to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, you did not have extensive experience with the one year series. Now you've been here at Good Shepherd yep. for three and a half years mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, you've had an, an opportunity to work through the one year series three times. Yep. yep, three times now. And so what would you say as a preacher and as a pastor of God's flock, what would you say the blessings and benefits of the one year series? Are? Yeah, the it helps you uh it really getting the the rhythm of the church year deeply ingrained that's that's been a that's been a tremendous pleasure to know to kind of understand more deeply the flow of the seasons and the flow of, flow of the sundays uh the other advantage is um now i lost the second one i'm going to go to my third one and then i'll hopefully circle back uh the the uh the other advantage is the history of the church um in that you can look up and see Walther or Luther or Johann Gerhard or even all the way back to further back fathers of the church. Uh, Chrysostom. Yeah, Chrysostom. Yeah, yeah. And and see them preaching on the very same text on the very same Sunday. Yep, and, that's pretty and so, cool. That's pretty cool. That, that's a very helpful thing. And it really roots you with the history of the church. And I remember I had my set of Luther sermons. I've had those for years now. But when I was on the three-year, I would be constantly, I'd look in the index, and I'm like, oh, nope, he didn't preach on this one. <laughs> and nowadays, yeah, yeah I, I look it up. I've got four sermons from Luther on, on a particular on a particular Sunday. Um, the, the other advantage, the other advantage of the, of the one year series, um, is, oh yes, this, this was it. It 
it links together the three readings much better than the three-year. The three-year does pretty decently on that too, but the the one-year really does link the three together. And sometimes the linkage seems strange to me, um, but the more we go through it, <laughs> the more clear and apparent it becomes. The, uh, the strength of the three-year series in giving the option of that continuous reading mm-hmm. is a weakness of the three-year series yep. in that when you do that, you pretty much ignore the other readings yes. for the yep. day. Yep. And the one thing that I have noticed in the, in the one-year series is that the gospel and the Old Testament Every Sunday, every major festival, every minor festival always have a unique connection. And the epistle reading, 99% of the time, is simply a practical Mm -hmm. application of that theme that is brought out. So um, repetition is the mother of learning. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of pastors that have uh, stayed with or made the switch to the one-year series because they want that repetition for their people. Mm-hmm. And while there's more Bible in the three-year series, sometimes because of the worship habits of people who don't come to church all that often, it ends up being a mile wide and an inch deep. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is room for freedom and flexibility. I think you can make an argument as a pastor for both. But rather than that, let's rejoice that we have the freedom. Mm -hmm. Let's rejoice that we have the option. And as long as we are proclaiming Christ crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sins for poor, miserable sinners like you and me, then whether it comes from the one-year series or the three-year series, is completely irrelevant. There's so much more that we could say about this particular topic, and we will in upcoming programs, but we're going to bring this program to a close. This has been At Home in Your Hymnal with Pastor Morundi and Pastor Poppy. We'll be back again with another episode. Thanks for listening, and may God richly bless your day.